Welcome to the Atlanta Tennis Podcast. Every episode is titled, It Starts With Tennis and Goes From There. We talk with coaches, club managers, industry business professionals, technology experts, and anyone else we find interesting. We want to have a conversation as long as it starts with tennis. Today, Bobby and I are going to have some fun for the next 10 minutes or so. We won't make it too long, even though pretty sure we could talk for days on most of these things, is our social media discussions. So that mostly for what's going on right now for anybody watching live, which again is usually just my wife, but maybe times will change. So Bobby, we put out a fun question on the, what is this called? Atlanta Area Tennis Players Facebook group that is run by a guy you know, right? Can you tell us? Who that is, the guy that runs this, he's the admin of this site? We think it's Mikhail Arnold. That sounds right. That, that sounds right. And Mikhail, I'm going to just go over to him. He also, he's, I met Mikhail back in 2012. Uh, he was trying to put together a tennis ladder system for competition, and he lived in the – Marietta part of town. He was playing out of Harrison and we just hit it off, stayed in contact. And, but he has since gravitated. He runs a Peruvian restaurant in Roswell. Now he's the owner chef of the fricking Incan. I want to make sure I pronounce this right. Freaking Incan. I-N-C-A-N. Yeah. Okay. And it's in Roswell and he also has a food truck attached to it Ooh. but he's a chef as well we, we didn't talk surprise. so he's he's very diverse and uh he created the that that web that part of facebook that group okay so do we think he's peruvian or maybe he just likes peruvian food i think he just likes peruvian food okay maybe, he, maybe he's peruvian but if he's got a food truck we definitely need to talk to him Yes. Um, so we we talk about Michael McKeel. Is it McKeel? I, I always he spells it McKeel, but I think he pronounced it Michael. Michael. Okay. Maybe yeah. the American version. Yes, I think he always uh, went with the American. To version. not confuse the people like me. Uh, yes. So we we definitely need to talk to him. But we used his Atlanta area tennis players group that has a bunch of followers, and it looks like it's a pretty vibrant group as we would say on facebook and i threw one of our go tennis questions up there which is if you could change or improve anything about tennis in atlanta what would it be and we put that up on our go tennis page for the facebook page as well and got some responses but it really took off with what looks like now 76 comments which is kind of fun for us as a, as mm -hmm. a entity 76 comments has been a lot of fun and we decided we wanted to get together and do a quick live conversation about it on the YouTubes, as well as uh, we'll put it out as a podcast as well. But we kind of narrowing down some of the main themes and some of the questions. And I'll let Bobby start because one of the questions that the, the first thing that came out was get rid of pickleball courts. It was the first <laughs> question that or first answer that jumped in there. So how would you respond to that 
okay, we're changing something about tennis. What does that have to do with pickleball? That's a very good question. I, I think it's just the the animosity or you know the the attention that pickleball is getting because I've recently saw tennis fighting back saying you know there's how many new people or how many people are playing the the various paddle and and racket sports and that tennis outflanks all of them combined that the, you know the recreational tennis player is still more than paddle badminton and pickleball combined so I I think people are seeing their courts tennis courts being turned into pickleball courts and saying, what is going on here? Is this something we really need? And, you know, there's different ways you can look at it as a club, especially in Atlanta as a club. I think it's, it's interesting and it's potentially a moneymaker because for the first time something is in the economies of scale in the club's favor where, you know, we've talked about tennis is predominantly free in Atlanta because it's so accessible where with pickleball, it's not, so you will see or your people are trying to create clubs you know we know about pickle and social that will be opening up here fairly soon that's going to be a pickleball only facility as well as a bar and restaurant and i think a couple of beach volleyball courts and cornhole but they're trying to use the pickleball to make the commonality to to create an environment where you come and and spend several hours obviously not just playing pickleball but hanging out socially afterwards so i i don't look at pickleball as a director we have at windermere we have 10 hard courts on our main facility we have two hard courts in one of our other uh subject you know one of our other little alcoves of windermere but we turn two of our tennis courts into six pickleball courts and you know they get a lot of use and we do have some crossover, but predominantly, I'd, I'd say that, the, you know, the pickleball is, is appealed to a lot of young kids, surprisingly. That's who really is the big shock to me that has embraced it. The, the teenagers, I think, looking to go out and maybe play, you know, pick up basketball. Now it's pick up pickleball and just go out, exercise, be outside, whack the ball around with their friends. So I, I don't I don't see it as a threat. I actually think. Long term, it could be a good way to introduce kids to the game because with a paddle like that, it's got to be closer to the kid's body. So I think from a learning standpoint, it could be very instrumental in helping to teach tennis long term. So but, you know, I, I get it. I, people look at it and say, gosh, one other thing going after tennis. Tennis doesn't need it. But I, I think you got to spin it and say, hey, if it gets more people outside, gets everybody healthier Maybe it'll to the odd. Everybody looks at pickleball as being the step backwards after you, you get older. I don't want to play tennis anymore. It's it's making me cover too much court. You might look and say, "Hey, I, I enjoy this. Let me take the next step and go play tennis." And you know, th there's been a lot of injuries in pickleball because it's a it's a stop and start sport in a short amount of space. So I'd be curious to get an orthopedic and say, you know, is it really that much easier? on your body than than people think as opposed to tennis so look at your demographic as well a lot of injuries in pickleball who plays pickleball exactly older people that have yeah. already had a hip replaced yeah it's older so yeah it's 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 it, it like i said it'd be interesting but i i again i get it i i see the people's response but i i think it there's room for everybody yeah, and I, and I like that. I've seen the the high school kids at your facility out there, and I think that's a great draw. I think it's easier yeah. to get into. I think other than basketball, some of the other sports where size matters, I don't think pickleball has that same limitation. 
So I think that's good. I think it's bringing people into racket sports in general. It's bringing people outside. And I would be interested to see actual numbers because the ones I see where you say there's not that much crossover. Do you really, did you have some major backlash about the tennis courts being switched into pickleball, pickleball courts? No. Mark Wiley out in Decula, same thing. No, he, he got praised for it. So yeah. there's a way that we can, if there's a way to look at the numbers and take away the, the response that says, well, I feel that it's really doing this to tennis, or I feel that, well, let's look at the numbers. Let's find out what's actually going on. Because we talked to, in one of our interviews last year, Mike Imbernone, who's literally the guy building the pickleball courts. Yeah. And he says, yes, we're building a lot of pickleball courts and we're not really seeing a major backlash. The clubs actually want it. So it could just be a fad. It could last five years. It could stay that way and be a nice addition to the club. But it's fun for us to see online the response, the back and forth of what people think, because it's one of the things we're going to do with the podcast, one of the things we're going to do with Go Tennis, which is we're going to ask these questions. Let's find out what people want. Let's yeah. find out what's out, what's on out there, which leads me to my next uh, theme that I have found in the comments which is about indoor courts. My personal comment was I'd like to see more indoor courts. Now I understand there's a, you know, there's always a money question there. Yes. The other response similar to that was more indoor courts, more clay courts. There are issues there. You don't have your facility and we can talk about what we know personally. I think that is a better way to do it rather than saying, I think Atlanta should do X, but at your facility, you don't have indoor or clay. Correct. We do not. And and I, I look at it and I laugh because I, I saw the same thing, that the gravitation to the indoor courts that everybody's pushing to where when we first started 25, 30 years ago, everybody wanted clay courts. I was at White Columns Country Club for 14 years and it wasn't that we wanted indoor. It was why can't we get clay? Yeah, you know, we have an aging population. Why can't we get clay? And that was always pushed back on, oh, we're out of room. And subsequently, since I left, they've added clay courts. But I think, like everything else, Lifetime Fitness came in and kind of did a, a test for everybody saying, will people pay for a higher level club, a facility that is just physically nicer? And the answer was yes. And, you know, they came in and took health clubs and gyms to a, a different level and they were very good about price positioning, but I think they showed that people will pay for it. And then you throw in our climate, which is predominantly warm, but we do have a lot of wet and especially in a, a year like this, where wet has been so prevalent, it brings back to the, the need for private courts. And what we've said always, and, and the irony is of course, is there are very few tennis only clubs in atlanta most of the clubs are attached to subdivisions which don't usually put you know a roof on and then you have the few tennis private which would be the old towns and i don't know what duluth is called anymore but you have old town in east cobb uh you know where they put on a little roof you have john's creek down the street from me that has was a, originally built as part of a subdivision but is now run by the guys at Universal Tennis Academy, and they have four indoor courts, but it's not there's it's not HVAC or heat; it's just covered. So, but you know, there's differentiators. Bottom line, it's like adding pickleball. It's like adding indoor courts. If you're going to run a club, 
you go as a as a marketing or you go into the what is the need? Well, there's a need for this. So what is going to be the differentiator to get people to join my club as opposed to go to their neighborhood? And you know, even Lifetime when they redid Racket Club of the South, they thought that this would be by, by adding pickleball and raising, I mean, I'm sorry, adding tennis and raising the level of the facility that, and being able to offer alcohol because it's a quote unquote platinum facility, they would get a lot more. Their business was not to grow. It was to take off of the hundred thousand people that belong to lifetime clubs in Metro Atlanta and get some of those to come over and join the, the RCS facility, the Norcross facility, because now you offered indoor tennis and outdoor tennis. And, uh, you know, it, I don't, it's taken some time. It wasn't an immediate, obvious success. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And we know a lot about the club side of things. A lot of the comments I'm seeing are targeted toward city facilities or public facilities, if public's even the right word anymore. But the question being, are they doing those demographic market research and are, you know, do we talk to the UTA guys? Cause they're going to run a few of those facilities. Do we talk to Agape? Do we talk to some of those people that might know a little bit more about what, how do you make those decisions? Are pickleball courts going in at DeKalb, for an example, or Blackburn, right. or are they just, we're tennis facilities, leave us alone kind of thing. Be interesting to see from a, from a public facility point of view, how that is managed. And if it's that different from a club where you still have your membership, you still have the people who play at your facility. Yeah. And we know because we get the conversations, whether it be through our players or people that we meet, there's a lot of people out there that would love to own a quote unquote tennis facility. And our first retort is, well, as long as you don't expect to be rich, I, you know, it's impossible. Yeah. But if you're doing it to think that you're going to be this, it better be a, a passion project and something you that you already be rich. Right. Or, or exactly. Because you're not going to get rich because you can just do the math on and extrapolate and say, okay, so again, to make it affordable, make it where people would join. But I do think over the last few years, the what Lifetime has done, which injected that quality does matter, weather does play a role. If you can make it affordable and make it reasonable, and and then use like James Creek, the model for the UT, you know, the Universal Tennis Academy guys run that facility, and their big thing is to concentrate on their their academy. That that's something that they can offer to the tournament level juniors say you're never going to get rained out and I'm right down the street and I can't offer that. I, we're going to get rained out <laughs> and, you know, and, and we have liability issues. So it's not like very, we can go on the court and say, okay, we'll get away with it today. Listen, you can hurt your arm. You can hurt your elbow on top of the fact I'm going to put 10 kids on the court or 15, 20 kids on the court. And I'm also going to lose that many tennis balls. So it's, it's just a bad decision all the way around. So, you know, I do think, again, a successful, properly placed, and that's the other bad part, because, I mean, I know TJ Middleton years ago was looking at building and, and probably now is crying because he was looking off of exit 12 on the Georgia 400 corridor as a, a future growing area. And boy, was he right. And that's, if he would have done my, that, that's my he would have had, yeah. Because that's a, we talk weather, we talk court access, we talk not getting rained out, we talk up the 400 corridor, which is where a majority of the tennis players are. So if we go, then one of the next concerns is the Alta spread, which I'll skip. Yes. 
because Alta's going to do that anyway, and Alta's going to do right. what they want to do to bring in more people. We'll let Alta worry about that. But one of the one of the comments I saw had fifty one miles to their tennis match. That was crazy within within a league, and that's that's nuts. Uh, and I, we're used to that at the double A level, and we know that's just part of the deal. That's just right. We are. But I wouldn't think that the typical tennis player on a weekend has time for that. My wife wants to see more family involvement. And if I've got to go halfway to Alabama, wait, that, sorry, that's a third of the way. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's closer than you think. Yeah, <laughs> it, It's too far. It, it's just right. too far. But from that point of view of the weather, the more interesting question to me went along the lines in this thread was about tour level events. And I think that's a fun question. We may ask that one next time uh, in, in a similar way, which is where would you as the Atlanta tennis fan like to see the tournament? So whether it's a 250 or a 1000, or we move Flushing Meadows down here, I don't care. We can, we can argue about getting on the schedule. Right now we got a 250. Were we to make it better? Bobby, I know you got some ideas. Well, I've, I've long been a fan of moving up to the, you know, the Georgia 400 corridor. I, I'm also a fan of you got to look long and hard. And I, I always tell the story since I was involved with it. The first year, the senior tour came to Atlanta. This was Jimmy Connors. They came in October and they kind of they, they were hoping to start franchising their tournaments. So they found somebody who had just made some money in telecom, wanted to get into sports. He had a you know 40 to 50 million laying around that he just wanted a little hobby. And they said, great, we'll help you. You finance it. We'll show you how to do it this way. Long term, you'll take over the sustainability. And I knew the, the, the people that were promoting it, Jeff Benton's, whose dad, Ray, was Jimmy Connor's agent and one of the founders of ProServe. I knew Jeff from his days at Emory, and he also worked at it uh lifetime fitness not like i'm sorry windy hill when it was still windy hill before it became what it is now uh so we've known each other years and they were coming and i believe it was 98 99 was the first year and they said october i said great did you guys bother to find out whether the georgia or georgia tech was in town and they looked at me cross-eyed and said what are you crazy you know this is tennis this isn't football i said okay so i was the sideline announcer for doing all the, the pre-match introductions and keeping everybody abreast and kind of to prove my point a little bit, but also because I knew there was a, a desire for it, I would announce scores of games that were going on that afternoon uh, on the Saturday afternoon matches. And I think when some obscure Auburn, and this is before the rise of you know, the Mississippis, it was either Mississippi State or Mississippi was playing – and the crowd went crazy over the score. They, you know, the powers that be made it very clear, came over to the booth and said, you've made your point. Stop announcing football scores. So I think you got to look at the, the entirety of what is going on. And Atlanta is a tier one city. You know, let's face it. I mean, this is, you know, we get the best of the best come here. So to sit there and say, uh, is it 250 for Atlanta appropriate? I would say probably not, but as we, as, you know, we talked about, there are other things that go into the level of the tournament. So what do you do? I loved back in the day in the, in the, you know, the mid early nineties, Peachtree city used to do a, a satellite, you know, which they could do over. And it was unbelievably well attended because that was the thing to do in Peachtree city. 
So I, I just always liked the idea of being a little bit smaller. So you could conceivably do it in a Roswell, do a tournament in an Alpharetta or a Milton. You're looking for your base supporters. And to me, that's where, and I think the Alta demographic or the stats would show you, their base, their strongest base is in the North, you know, Georgia 400 North Corridor. So if, if I'm looking for that, that's where I would start. I think downtown is a tough, it's a tough ride. You know, Northern Georgia will do it once, but they're not coming back. And then as we laugh and factor in, okay, Saturday and Sunday, they're playing three o'clock matches in a hundred degree heat. That's just another thing that stops people from coming back to see that second match. And, you know, that's what always makes the tournament less than successful and doesn't show up well on TV when the cameras spent and say, well, this is Atlanta, the most popular, you know, name tennis city of the world, the most popular tennis in the, in the world, and they can't fill out a stadium. It's tough. It's tough. But that's and the of course, and then they all throw back Stone Mountain at us, which we won't even get into. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll let the Olympics go. Um, <laughs> that's that's the, the uniqueness of Atlanta. And I've got a, I don't know what my theory is, but as I traveled the world over the last 20 years, people looked at me funny when, we, when everybody got together and they said where they were from. I was the only one ever from Atlanta. Yeah. Everybody traveling the world was from L.A., New York, Paris, Sydney. Like, they were they were from all over the place, most basically L.A. But <laughs> I was the only one from Atlanta. Atlanta is you call it a you, you say it's a tier one city. It's not you calling it that, but yeah. Atlanta being a tier one city, we like our good stuff. Yes, we are called the kingdom of tennis, and that's just because we've got the biggest social leagues. Yes, but we're a different kind of tier one city. We're still a, I don't want to say small town, but I think we've got a lot of people here that don't leave Georgia. You know, I lived in LA and, and LA, believe it or not, is a lot like Atlanta or was because downtown LA, when I was there, this is 30 years ago, granted, there was nobody who lived in downtown LA. My brother still lives in L.A. He lives in downtown L.A. So, you know, it used to be downtown was a place that you commuted to, did work. And within that, you had downtown L.A. You travel west towards the beach. You, you would hit Beverly Hills and Century City and you continue west and you're eventually going to hit the Pacific. And that was Santa Monica. Well, that was all considered L.A. Atlanta is, you know, as we say, Metro Atlanta can, constitutes I'm in coming and we're 35 miles away from what you would call downtown Atlanta. And I, I grew up 35 miles from New York city on long Island and we weren't called New York city, but you know, it was, we were very separate, very different and, and two different types of people resided in those places. And I, and I, you know, that's always been Atlanta. Atlanta has always been a great convention city or was a great convention city. It was never a, a touristy place. And I, again, I think that just, those are the little struggles that Atlanta's always had creating that next level of an identity. You know, you would think with such a diverse population, the arts would be outstanding. We'd have so many different theater groups and, you know, that's still, and it, you know, it's money. There's so many different factors that go into it, but you know, it's, it's, it's tough to put a, you, you know, take a 
and throw and say, this is what Atlanta is. I, I, I couldn't answer that. Yeah. And I think that's funny because you say you talk about the diversity, which is very true, but does not, does that not make it harder for an identity? Yeah. Because it isn't, we're not all the same. We're very different. I mean, even Atlanta, I think is very different from LA. I go to California and it looks like what I'm used to, but it's different. There's just something yeah. different. And, and maybe that's a feel, but from an Atlanta point of view, you look at Peachtree City to Cumming to Cobb County to Gwinnett County to downtown Atlanta to Buckhead. It, it, they're just different things. They're very different things. And we have, you know, single entity Alta trying to, trying to do their thing. And they just say, hey, you guys are in one of these counties. You get to play tennis. Have fun. You know, yes, it's Atlanta. There's traffic. I hope you enjoy our, you know, you hope you enjoy yourselves. But in this case, looking at the pro event, it's that fun. Say, yeah, we'd love to see that. I saw one comment saying we need more ping pong tables. Like, yeah. Okay, well, that's why I like Facebook sometimes because you get these things that you just kind of look and you go, huh? I don't, I don't understand where you got there. Um, but, it, but it's fun. We'll, we'll hopefully do these more. I saw one more that I wanted to mention. Where was it? It was junior programs that don't cost parents an arm and a leg. And we were, we were talking about this and, and having standing in the junior program business, uh, running tennis for children, and you're, you're running a facility that understands programs for kids that often you get what you pay for. So there is the ability to say, yeah, there is affordable tennis programming out there for kids, but you get what you pay for. And, yeah. and people have to understand that. And one of the things we're going to try to do with Go Tennis is help with some of that. Because I'm watching, I'm watching Tennis Channel, I'm complaining about the commercials. But then I try to think, okay, well, how much am I paying for this product? You know, is there, can I pay extra like Pandora? I can pay extra to not have the commercials. And in that case, is there an ability to say, hey, you know what? We've got our tennis programming. We're sponsored by Cadillac. And we're going to run a Cadillac commercial every five minutes to your children for 30 seconds. And we're going to stop tennis. And we're going to run a commercial. So I'm probably going too far with my analogy here. Yeah. <laughs> or you can pay full rate and we won't run any commercials. Like there's a way we have to, tennis coaches are going to make a living. And tennis isn't cheap if you want coaching. It's free if you want to practice. Go find a board, go find a wall, go practice. Practice is free. You know, hard work is extra. But in this case, it's, you, you got junior programs, things cost money, unless we're going to offload some of those costs to advertising, which I'm guessing may not get a great response either. <laughs> well, I, I think the good part about the, the overall response is that we, as I called you, I said, wow, you struck a nerve with the question. It's, it's, you know, it, it, you asked one question, like you said, look at all the different responses, how, how far it can go. Each one brings up a different set of variables, which makes it even more fun. That one, for instance, even your tennis channel analogy, you hate to say it, it's, it's like running a tournament. The, the sponsorships pay for the event. The ticket sales are the money. Tennis Channel doesn't exist if it's not for the cables, overall Comcast, paying them so much per subscriber. That's how it exists. Their, their profit is their sponsorships. They could not exist without – they need both of them. Mm -hmm. and, and that's how close Tennis Channel is always from going out. You know, they, they created this model that they thought we were going to be able to mimic – the golf channel and command the same prices and they've never have. And that's why it's always teetering on not seeing the tennis channel anymore. And that's why they look to pickleball because they need something to sustain 
to keep it keep an audience growing because let's face it look at the demographic of the nielsen's of the tennis channel it is often less than one which is pretty much for any station just you're going to register a, a one just from being on you know being a registered station so same thing with with tennis in atlanta what the good part we struck a nerve you know we struck a nerve we, we hopefully we might not have all the answers we have ideas you know we have a little more background in it so we we could maybe throw some more out there again great part about the kids here's a big problem that immediately from us being in it screams that we've discussed is the lack of leadership from the top that we don't have to sit there and say this is why you have to go to a certified professional well that would weed out a lot of the guys who go into the subdivisions with their basket offer a cheaper and people just say out of convenience and more economical we'll take it not realizing what well, that you are you're you're if you create issues that the child can work through at a 12 year old they're probably not going to be able to work through as a 14 or 16 year old and then we're going to have to tear things down during a time that they should be getting more point play and advancing in that direction so there's always something but i guess the great part about just the discussion was creating the discussion and seeing where people go and and you know that's what we're trying to do tennis is the commonality Tennis is where we start. Now we've gone into business. And again, great thing from being involved in the business side is that it's a product. So a lot of the, the things that we face in tennis are similar to what a restaurant faces. So where can we help each other? You know, where, what idea worked to increase your base in the restaurant business? Could that be transferable to tennis? And, uh, you know, talk to Mr. Take, Arnold. Yeah, to see where we can go. And then, again, we have the commonality. Where can we go? And it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that was – we got we got all the fun questions on the on the thread. And you got a, a troll or two. Actually, less than I expected. Um, but, you know, this typical question, the sandbagging and what would you change? Uh, like Gary's comment, he's like, I'd, I'd make my backhand better. Well, yeah, I can't, can't complain about that. Um, but if we wanted to, I wanted to go with one more and we both know Grovo and he makes a comment, uh, stop trying to monetize the sport. And I asked him specifically, can you tell us more about what that means? Cause again, we're making a business, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, he says companies come in and take over facilities, hire anyone looking to teach. They advertise the lights out of it and bring in kids by the bunches. The bulk of their budget is in advertising. They pay below market to teaching pros. Because of this, the quality is poor and kids don't get the proper start into the sport, causing them to drop out at a later time. The turnover with pros and facilities is through the roof, relatively speaking, and their only goal is to make profits. So I've got a couple of guesses as to where that's targeted. How would you, do you picture this as large management entities coming in trying to make money rather than a local coach running a facility who may not even be capable of handling it? I think it's both. I think there's a level of incompetence in, in every, uh, you know, every industry. So you, you can't rule that out. Uh, you know, I, I would defend the other side just as vehemently, just because it's tough guys. You know, you, you look at, you think Harrison, okay, there, you know, here's a city run facility. And I know it, it's changed, but they, there was a time that Cobb County wouldn't allow the teaching pro or a teaching pro to actually be the director. So if you wanted to be the director at a Cobb County facility, you were not allowed to teach at that facility. So we all know tennis is a labor intensive business. 
So your the margins are not that great to begin with. Then you throw in, as, as you put in so many of what we've talked about, a third person or another entity that you're, which whether it be the city, a landlord, a subdivision, you know, I'm at Windermere. I don't get a salary. What my deal was, I get exclusivity and I get 100% of everything we generate. And through that, I, I get guys to work with me. Now, I'm of the belief from a managerial standpoint and a business standpoint, I'm only as good as my number two. So I want the guys around, guys and gals around me to be as good or better than me, which means I got to spend more. So my my margins for me, there's not, I don't eat off of the other pros like some of the other guys do. And I get it. And, you know, and I, and I look at, I had daughters in cheerleading and I laugh and my other daughter is in theater. And it's, as I said, even though it's a different name, it's the same thing. They grow, they get excited. It's first time they've really seen a profit. They're not sure how to scale it. So the, the thing that was, the enticement because the ratios were better. It was a little bit smaller. It wasn't as expensive. The reason you went them went there as they grow. Well, those things go away. So now what is, can I raise the level of what I'm offering because I've grown yet? If you're if the instructor or the owner saying, wow, this is the first time I've actually made money. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice to take a family vacation? You know, and it's tough. So again, it it seems a lot of the questions you look at and say, oh, the, the answer is obvious. There's so much goes into all of this, which is fun. Again, that's that's why we can discuss it. And that's why get a perspective of somebody else and say, okay, th this is what I think. Okay, so how can we make it better? And again, I think it goes... And we've, we've talked to various, you know, the teaching pro, everybody goes to the idea of this, you know, how well did you play? Where did you play? Well, you're a coach. Bill Belichick didn't play football. Nick Boletari is a, you know, was a lawyer. Uh, you know, all the stories that debunk the idea, your science teacher wasn't Einstein in school, you know, your biology teacher, but Mr. Cooperman was outstanding and I'll never forget him. And he taught me the value of work. Do we does tennis need to be cultivating that image of well this guy just walked off tour or can you go out and get a, a three five to four player say hey you have a great aptitude to work with kids this is going to be what you do but again in a facility where you only have so many hours to eat a lot of, too many times the guy will just I'll do it myself or she'll do it herself and the that's not growing a program that's being a head pro. That's, you know, making, capitalizing and making them, you're not growing the program. And I think that goes to the, a lot of people being in these positions because there's so much that so many of these guys probably shouldn't be in those positions to begin with. So, you know, two different variables play into that, but again, fun discussions. Yeah. And I think Go Tennis and the Atlanta Tennis Podcast can help bring what we would consider insider information. So, hey, we've been doing this for thousands of years. Here's how it's done. Doesn't mean it's done right, but here's how it's done. Here's why it's done. You know, when somebody wants to respond to uh, one of the professional men's players came out and said, "I just don't understand why women don't make as much money." I'm okay. Yeah. We can we can talk about. I don't want to touch the third rail right now. Yeah. But in that case, <laughs> you, we can have those conversations. But we can also go to the Alta player. It's okay. Here's why Alta is doing this. Hey Alta, because we know people at Alta, and we can have that conversation. 
maybe we we can take some of that wisdom of the crowd and help the businesses in Atlanta be better at what they do. That's one of the things Go Tennis is going to do. Of course, the podcast. Uh, and as usual, our 10-minute conversation turned into 40. There you go. And, and, and again, that's the beauty of Atlanta because we are so different. We do. We have a subdivision. We have a private club. We have an, you know, the amenity as a part of a golf club where most places are, are dealing with one or two. We're dealing with public parks that are out. I mean, gosh, uh, unbelievable public parks in in foresight that I just see from you know being a foresight and being in Fulton that you sit there and go, oh my God, these baseball fields, I die that if I could have played on these baseball fields, considering what I p- grew up with playing in New York when you're playing in March and it was freezing and the, the ground was rock hard and you were afraid for your life because you know what kind of bad, bad bounce and you look at the facilities these kids got and go, wow. So there is a lot of money being spent and that's a great part. You get all this. So it, the level of the criticism goes up as far, you know, it's a different criticism because you can't complain about the facilities. You can't complain about the public parks. They're amazing. They do a great job of, of getting you the facility. They've had a hard time figuring out how, how to administrate them. There's been different methods through the years, again, which makes it a, a, a completely different discussion. But that's the fun part that we'll be able to get you private club, tennis directors, neighborhood, subdivision, tennis directors, the one or two tennis clubs, tennis directors, and then go out of state to someplace else and say, well, how do you do it in in your state? Because, you know, when we, when any entity always comes to Atlanta, again, it's this, the head scratcher, we're different. We're different again. And I, you hate to, I always go back to T2. That was such a, they took the time. I remember when he was starting, he had his little circle and he took his compass and he goes, this is all we're covering. And everybody's like, well, go here, go. He goes, no, we're going to start here. We're going to saturate it and we're going to gradually expand because we did not want to subject somebody to a 51 minute drive. And as we talked about, we all think when we think initially of Atlanta tennis is the driving, the traffic. And he did. T2 did surveys and identified that sandbagging was really the number one issue with the majority of players. So he was very conscious about scores and made you repeat, you know, record your scores. And if you repeatedly won 6-0-6-0, you weren't staying a 3-0 player. Sorry, your scores don't justify that. That's how, so, you know, again, but he's a small business. You know, he was a small business. Now he's huge. But, you know, so they were able, they took their time and did a lot of the stuff right. Whereas we talked, Alta has grown so exponentially in such a short period of time. If you really look at the scheme of things, how do you stop the monster once it starts growing? Because Dawson, you know, Dawsonville, where the north city of, of Foresight wants in. Hey, what are you talking about? I can throw, you know, there are places I can throw a rock. The outlet mall is Dawson and, and two miles south on 400 is is coming why is why is that a difference we want to be in i want to drive to dawsonville yeah well i mean but so peachtree city and kennesaw so does alta start to make regions right and you know start saying okay this is we're going to do and then we're all going to meet and you know make it more of a tournament could be fun you could actually enhance the experience by keeping everybody close and then say okay for the semifinals we're going to come here and the finals were going to come here 
and and, and make it even you know that way to to address it. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get Amy Powell, marketing director at Alton. We'll get her on the podcast and ask these questions. You know, Amy, what are you doing? We know that they they we've spoken to them at length on pickleball, and pickleball's coming out this summer. And we know during their discussions, they did a lot of market research to try to get it right. So it's not like it's they're just throwing spaghetti. They are out there talking to people, trying to figure it out, trying to make the best experience for everybody. But we, you know, it's ultimately the consumer that makes these calls. And that's why it's great that we have these, these forums and this ability to tap into the consumer and say, hey, you know, what bothers you? Well, there you have it. We want to thank Rejuvenate for use of the studio. Be sure to check out Rejuvenate.com if you're interested to improve your fitness, health, and wellness, and not interested in a commute to the gym. Check out our other episodes at AtlantaTennisPodcast.com. Also, find us on social media, and let us know what you think about our conversations. Mostly, click that follow button. Whether you listen periodically, you can follow us in your podcast app, which helps us keep the show going. And with that, we're out.